Welcome, and thank you all for joining us for this episode of the Matthews Podcast, a podcast highlighting commercial real estate news, topics, and trends from top professionals in the industry. I'm your host, Matt Wallace. I've been in uh, commercial real estate industry for 10 plus years, executing on over a billion dollars in transactions across asset types from coast to coast. I now serve as a market leader at Matthews, sharing my skills and supporting workplace expansion, development, and management to help grow the Matthews brand into new markets. Today, we are joined by Austin Tomeko, a multifamily associate who specializes in single-family portfolio sales and apartments in the Southeast. In this episode, we dive into single-family rentals, discussing the nuances of the product type and the history behind why it has become an asset class targeted by institutional investors. Please welcome to the podcast, Austin Tomeko. Hey, Matt. Thanks so much for having me. Looking forward to diving in. Well, let's kick this off with some background. Why don't you tell me a little bit about how you got into the single-family rental game and how they compare to multifamily? Sure. Yeah, so it was a deal that we did last year. It was a 20-unit single-family home subdivision pretty down the fairway. Um, you know, a, a standard subdivision of homes in a cul-de-sac on a private road. And certainly pretty nuanced. The, mo the, the seller was very motivated, so we took the assignment on freely with that being uh, pretty easy. He was definitely motivated. So met him at the site, saw it was a little nuanced, just given, of course, it's a bunch of single-family homes. That was my, my first of a few that we've done. And soon into the process, we, of course, got it listed in, of, I'd say, probably a couple of weeks in the marketing process had of course a, a ton of objections saying you know this isn't multifamily, not really for me but there was a a group specifically that targets this space out of the northeast they have a bunch of satellite offices across the country and they came in full list all cash great terms so that was kind of eye-opening given that it was a specific group that targets this nuanced product if you will under the multifamily umbrella and that was kind of the, the spur of this whole this whole product line, if you will, uh, just how that transaction materialized, learned a lot through the transaction, just how the buyer was analyzing the deal. So so you were really at the ahead of the curve here with uh, kind of as this became a more and more popular asset class. So so dive into some of the objections you were hearing when you initially put that out to market and, and why this other group you know, through those all to the side. Yeah. So ultimately the more conventional multifamily operators just said, you know, we don't target these portfolio sales of homes. We would rather a conventional multifamily deal. Um, but really I didn't understand what some of these conventional guys really didn't understand. And it's ultimately operated as a conventional deal. You know, some of these sites have if they're large enough, they they have on-site management, they have a leasing office, but of course the horizontal aspect of it, I guess, makes it unique. And the fact that some of these homes are all individually parceled, so there's multiple operational strategies as well as exit strategies. So with this group out of the Northeast that took this down, um, we learned very quickly how they were analyzing the deal, what their exit strategies ultimately were, operationally speaking, how are they running, the portfolio, uh, as well as the other sites they had in their their uh, their holdings across the country. So it was it was a great deal to get done. Of course, the all cash nature and 
everything else is is great from a broker standpoint, seller standpoint. Um, but yeah, a big, big, big learning curve, and it served me well into the next few transactions that we got done later that year and earlier this year as well. So you mentioned a developer was your your seller uh, on this particular asset that was kind of helped to launch this trend. Was this developer developing specifically, you know, single family to rent or was this deals that hadn't sold that he wanted to convert to rentals? How was the game plan from the beginning to do this large SFR portfolio? So the it actually it wasn't the developer that was selling it. It was just an older gentleman that had bought the subdivision at an auction about, I'd say, 10, 11 years ago. And he's it's been a, more of a cash flow play than anything. Just older gentleman, a uh, very private owner. So he didn't add a ton of value to the homes or the portfolio in general. Very under market rent as well. Again, a more cash flow play for him. But after you know, again, the marketing process and some of the questions the buyer was asking, we kind of knew that there was another angle that they were looking at it that maybe we didn't, we weren't looking at it from. So I think we were priced at around 113 a unit on a price per pound for the complex. Market, if you were to sell the homes one-off, was around 2250 um, so one of the m major questions that some of these buyers are going to ask on the front end is, are these homes individually parceled or is that something we're going to have to go through the process of doing and come to find out, you know, outside of just, you know, increasing the rents through a value add strategy. Some of the exit strategies are not only to either, you know, add value and sell the whole portfolio to another operator. They actually would one off sell these homes off for market value in the residential world which was which was interesting you know certainly in in multifamily that's obviously not a, an option unless it's a fractured condo deal but you know the, again this product line that that first deal was eye-opening some of the questions the buyer was asking you just kind of figured you know there was another angle they were looking at it from another prism they were looking at this deal through that that, that is interesting and so you, you've already touched on a few of the differences to multifamily uh, or traditional multifamily, rather. What are some other differences in deal structure, uh, you know, maintenance obligations? How, how how are people underwriting these SFR portfolios differently than your traditional vertical multifamily deal? Right. So come to find out, you know, of course, sometimes you can get away with, you know, a higher a higher rent, um, mainly because if you look at just a, a, a single family home that's standing, if you go on Zillow, the single family home is typically going to rent greater than, say, just a one unit apartment complex. Obviously, you know, you can rent these, you know, price, rent them by the bed, rent them by the unit, depending on how many units a home has. Of course, square footage is also baked into that. But outside of just, you know, a potential to increase your overall revenue, your expense ratio is typically anywhere from 15 to 25% more efficient. Um, I'm hearing it's kind of operator dependent on who can get away with this, but a lot of the tenants, as you can imagine, if it's a, if it's a home, there's a sense of ownership that the renter has, and therefore they're typically, just from an emotional and psychological standpoint, they're more apt to pay some of the line items associated with lawn care, um, you know, their utilities, 
any maintenance or repairs to the home. There's, again, that sense of urgency, and some of these landlords and operators are kind of capitalizing on that, quote, sense of ownership that the renter has. So from an expense load, again, it's typically anywhere from 15 to 25% more efficient. So how we're underwriting these deals is, of course, asking if it is an SFR built to rent operator, if we're selling a portfolio for them, of course, how are they running their deal from an expense load standpoint? Um, how can we market that on a pro forma? Can we trim any of the fat? Like this guy, you know, he was paying everything um, for the tenants themselves. So that was a monumental piece of upside for the buyers. Man, we can, you know, implement a rubs program or just have all the tenants, you know, eventually pay all their utilities and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, from that standpoint, it's it's great. You know, you can capitalize on the efficiencies of the overall product. That's great. So, yeah, the, the, these experienced guys, as the, the the market is still quite fractured, can really come in and, and add value day one. So, you know, they, they probably looked at your list price and saw it as a, a discount. That's that's great. Right. Um, so what are some of the, uh, you know, we talked about some of the similarities. What are some of the unique challenges uh, that you have to face and overcome in a SFR transaction versus your traditional multifamily deal? Right. So naturally, some of these portfolios, the price per unit is a little more inflated than your conventional deals. Mainly, again, it's kind of reverting back to the expense ratio. It's it's a little lower, so you can get away with an increased price. Therefore, the price per pound is a little heavier. So your more conventional buyer, uh, you know, multifamily buyer is going to object to, man, this basis is, is crazy high. I'm not going to enter the market at this price. And that was another objection that we faced on a new construction portfolio that we sold in Lebanon, Tennessee, kind of eastern outside of Nashville, about 35 miles. The number one objection, price per unit's way too high, makes zero sense. And of course, the buyer for that deal was a SFR built to rent type of operator that saw the upside and what our price per pound was on the portfolio. And you know, tomorrow you could list the homes or the townhomes for 100 to 175,000 more and exit, you know, one offered. Of course, there was the rental upside baked into that as well. So it's really that's the biggest challenge, you know, if someone is kind of ignorant to the product, how you can optimize, whether it's operations or exit strategies. There's just, again, multiple lenses you can look at these things through. And if it's just a conventional guy, it's just typically not going to be the buyer. It's, it's really going to go to these niche operators or buyers in the space. So it, it seems like there's a lot of money kind of congregating to to do more of these SFR portfolios. What, what is it about the SFRs that are attracting them? Yeah, so again, kind of reverting back to the operating efficiencies of it, you can get away with a lower expense ratio. You can typically put back a lot of the utilities, you know, lawn care, maintenance, anything like that on the, the home occupier, the renter, um, because again, that sense of home ownership is, is definitely a thing in this space. So they're much more apt to pay things like that. So on, in addition to just being a little more efficient, there are, again, multiple avenues of approach from an exit strategy. Of course, there's a ton of private equity, institutional money chasing these portfolios. They're even, I mean, it's in some cases, some groups, not only 
will buy the portfolio, but they'll even check Zillow and other platforms and they'll buy the one-off homes just to staple onto their existing you know, portfolio in a, in a certain market. So, I mean, they're even purchasing these one-off homes. It's, it's kind of crazy. You'd think that private equity wouldn't take a look at that, but I mean, it, they're getting entrepreneurial. It's, it's uh, the conventional multifamily space from, I guess, since inception, it's one of the more coveted asset classes. And of course, there's a ton of people that want it, but this niche, this niche under that umbrella of multifamily um, is certainly to your point, gaining a ton of traction just based on you know the the upsides of operations and exit strategies. Yeah, we I mean we've certainly seen some of the the big players make a splash. Uh, obviously, Blackstone really leading the charge, and uh, Brookfield dipping their toe in the waters. And and we, there were obviously a couple missteps like the the Zillow buying program, things like that. So. What what was it about SFRs that brought the big buckets of money to the table? Right. So I would say, of course, I, I'm speaking mainly for the Southeast. You look at migration patterns, just, you know, places to be a landlord. Just, that's just that's optimal. You look at what COVID did. It drove a lot of people out of these urban markets and drove them more suburban. So the garden style, two-story walk-up type of deals became much more coveted. And, you know, I'd say COVID would, was a catalyst to this type of product as well. Over the past, I'd say, decade, you know, SFRs built to rent, that was kind of humming around the space. But I'd say what catalyzed it was certainly COVID. Um, you know, the desire to get away from the super dense urban environment of course a lot of people were talking about the virus itself didn't want to expose themselves to it so everyone was looking for a work from home option again not as not as dense so from a development standpoint and some of these groups that had you know dry powder to go chase deals it uh it catalyzed the sfr built to rent space from that standpoint COVID certainly catalyzed that so sounds like there's a, a lot of macro factors driving big demand and then a lot of micro factors on a deal by deal basis that can really present some attractive upside. It's a fascinating space for sure with a lot of opportunity. Um, what what does it look like in your view uh, over the next one year, three years, five years? Is, is this thing here to stay? Yeah, I think it's I don't think it's really going anywhere. Of course, multifamily in the southeast right I'm, i kind of oversee everything in in nashville state of tennessee so just being here it's a little more insulated market of course you know the more macro conversations everyone's having interest rates stuff like that i think the southeast in general let alone nashville it's a little more insulated and of course you look at the migration patterns of what business where businesses are locating the announcement of oracle amazon all these massive fortune 500 companies that are moving here it's only going to drive the demand for product like this. You know, the demand versus supply curves, you look at that, it's, you know, it's it's drastically out of whack. And, you know, these these suburban, whether it's townhome communities, single family communities, apartments in general, just the rental environment, it's definitely a great space to be. I don't I don't foresee, you know, a, a dip in the market from from this standpoint, especially in, in a Nashville. Will it stabilize? Sure. Um, a drastic dip or anything dissipating into thin air, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, so uh, 
multifamily in general has always been one of the more recession resilient assets. Um, you talk about migration trends really driving a lot of, of that, and that's also based on jobs. So is is that the biggest determining factor uh, for a market is is where the jobs are going? Yes, certainly, you know, certainly one of them where where job growth is, where are the what are the market drivers? What are the secondary markets? Of course, Nashville secret the secret's out on Nashville. So if you want to find, any yield, you have to go suburban. And of course, what do these other submarkets uh, have to offer? And I'd say, and again, speak just based on the fact I'm in our headquarters in Nashville, and this is pretty much the market I'd, I'd spearhead and oversee is within an hour, two hour radius of Nashville. I mean, these, these suburban markets are all getting a ton of that growth. Amazon distribution centers and you know the oracles of the world are all coming here and they're planting their flag in the Lebanon, Tennessee's of the world, Springfield, Tennessee, Clarksville, Tennessee. Um, so, of course, job growth is certainly a factor. Migration patterns, a lot of the, the, the migration patterns are coming from these coastal cities, coastal markets, New York, LA, you know, Miami. Um, a, lot of these, a lot of these people are either selling out of their assets on, on those markets or either just picking up their whole family or business operations and coming here. Um, you know, so where where are people buying? And a lot of over 80% of the people buying these deals are out of state 1031 exchange capital or funds. So the, you know, Nashville secrets out on Nashville for sure. Uh, tons of inflows to, to that city is, is the supply keeping up with the demand and, and how has uh, the increasing cost of money affected those development pipelines? Right. So, I mean, there's definitely a housing shortage nationwide and, you know, the, the demand, I mean, really the supply is just, it's, it's tough to keep up with demand. It's, it's very overwhelming. And, you know, these developers want to meet that demand, but with the cost of capital going up, the cost of materials and labor going up, it, it's hard to make sense of the numbers for some of these guys. They're, they're really not incentivized to, you know, some of them, depending on the product, like, you know, these stick built suburban townhomes or, you know, SFRs, I think will definitely perform better than some of these class A high rise type of product is, of course, just for obvious reasons, you know, the cost of developing those two product lines is going to be drastically different. So the stick built homes, um, you know, with vinyl siding is going to, you know, certainly be a little less costly than a 500 unit high rise in, in Nashville. So those will be a little more resistant to what is going on macro and, and micro in, you know, the market. Okay. So imagine I'm, I'm a new SFR investor. What, what are your, you know, words of advice for me as I, as I dip my toe into this, into the waters here of SFR portfolios? Sure, I would just educate them on again how some from an operational perspective how you can get away with kind of trimming the fat, if you will, from an expense load standpoint. Um, showing them that you know the the tip a, a great expense ratio here, Middle Tennessee multifamilies anywhere from thirty to thirty seven percent. With some of these SFR built to rent portfolios. Uh, their expense ratio can range anywhere from 15 to 25%. I mean, it's it's really, it's it's crazy. So 
from that standpoint, operations are much more efficient. And of course, exit strategies, depending on where you are in the market and where you see, you know, the best opportunity, you can, again, exit these one off to a direct consumer that would own the home and occupy it or sell it to some hedge fund, institutional investor or private equity that would certainly, you know, take it off your hands at a at a premium. Uh, I love it. You got, you know, recession resilient product, operational efficiencies, you know, what what's not to love? Uh, any any parting thoughts for our audience? Yeah, I would say, of course, you know, just given I'm here in the great city of Nashville, Tennessee, if there's anyone out there that not only, of course, the conventional multifamily side of things, if you know anyone's chasing product in in this type of market, we are increasingly uh, picking up some of these SFR built to rent, whether it's new construction existing, we have opportunities uh, now and you know into 2023. So I would urge you to reach out and you know tap into our inventory, whether it's Tennessee, across the Southeast or nationwide, we certainly are increasingly becoming more and more prevalent in this space. Fantastic. Well, Austin, uh, I certainly appreciate you taking the time to, to help educate us on this interesting new niche subsector of multifamily uh, and, you know, taking the time to share those insights. Uh, and for everyone listening, also thank you uh, for taking the time to tune in and please do again so next time. Thank you.